Oh, thank you, guys. We appreciate that. That was great. Uh, if you have your prayer ministry sheet in your bulletin, I would ask you to uh, take a look at it. A couple of folks that we need to pray for this morning. Um, Gene Miller, um, he has started chemotherapy now. Uh, do pray that there will be no side effects and pray that the chemo might do uh, what it's supposed to do. Also, you'll see there a new name, Darlene Siders. Uh, Darlene has been sick since Thanksgiving, and um, they're not exactly sure why. Uh, she's in the hospital now. Uh, there seems to be an inflammation in the colon, but pray that she can get some answers. Right now, they don't have definitive answers as to what is taking place. And then Terry Weaver, I, I saw an email uh, this week, I think it was yesterday. This is Heidi's father, uh, who's going to, be, going to be having surgery on February the 24th. Uh, so please keep her father in prayer. Uh, again, you see many, many others on our list, and we trust that you're praying for uh, these and others that uh, the Lord might bring to your mind. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you brought us together. Uh, Father, it was cold last night. It was real cold last night, and Father, uh, but that didn't keep us away. We're thankful that you have allowed us to be here. Lord, the sun is coming through the windows, the sun is shining, and Father, it's to warm up a bit today, and we thank you for that, being a God who gives us the weather that we need, uh, the weather that you control. Father, we believe that you're sovereign. We believe that you continue to sit on the throne. You rule, you reign the universe, and for that, Father, we are thankful. We thank you, Father, for the salvation which you provided for us. The salvation which we've been studying in the book of Romans. A salvation that is given to us by grace and comes through faith. Father, help us to appreciate grace as we understand who we were. As we understand the depraved condition in which we were. Father, I pray that you would help us today as we once again open the pages of Scripture. That, Father, we might see who we are who we've been, and who we need to be. Father, we bring before you this morning these folks on this list. Father, we know how important health is. We often take it for granted, Lord, when we feel good. But there's a lot who don't feel good. And so, Father, we bring before you Gene Miller this morning. Uh, Father, we pray that there would not be side effects now to the starting back up once again of the chemotherapy. We pray, Lord, that you might touch him in a special way. We pray for Darlene, Lord. It's been a long time now since she hasn't felt well. We pray that on Monday when the results come back from the test that it might reveal something that can be cured. And that, Father, you would raise her up very quickly. We pray for the surgery of Heidi's father uh, coming up quickly who has bladder cancer, we ask, Lord, that all would go very, very well. The surgery would go well, and, Father, you would get him home soon and restore him to good health. Father, we know that there are a lot of problems physically, emotionally, mentally in our church. Lord, a lot who are going through some tough times right now. Father, you didn't say that life would be easy. You never said that life would be a bed of roses, but you always said that you would be there for us and you would go through the storms alongside of us. Father, for those who are struggling with things that they never dreamed of, even six months ago, Father, walk beside them. Walk beside them. Let them know how much you care and how much you love them. Father, for those who are struggling with other issues, we pray that, Father, you might be our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Father, it's so good to be able to come before the throne of grace. Jesus said we are to come through him, the mediator between God and man. So, Father, we come through Jesus, our Savior, and our Lord. We pray these things in His name. Amen. 
Amen. Would you stand to worship with us this morning?
ain't no threat to gain It's heaven locked away And the Son of God was laid in darkness A battle in the grave The war on death was waged And the power of hell forever broken The ground began to shake The stone was rolled away His perfect love could not be overcome Now death, there is no sting Our resurrected King Has rendered you defeated Forever King is glorified
sing when my strength is failing. The end draws near and my time has come. And still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. moment to greet those around you this morning. Tell them that you're glad to see them. I invite you to take your hymn book and turn with me to hymn number 475, The Battle is the Lord's. If you notice, the scripture was taken for 1 Samuel, 
this is the occasion where David went out to face the giant Goliath and uh, the people before he went out to battle, they, this was a scripture, they, they depended upon the Lord. They said the Lord doesn't fight battles with swords. And here this little young fellow went out to face Goliath, a giant with no armor. And of course he took a smooth stone and, and killed Goliath, the, the, the giant. So this is where the scripture comes from. The battle is the Lord's, the harvest fields are white. Hymn number 475. <coughs> church can be dismissed. The Last week we ended Last week we ended by singing the song Victory in Jesus. And we went on our way uh, with that song echoing in our minds. I thought this morning we would start by singing that same same song. The praise team is not going to lead. There's no piano going to play. We're going to sing a cappella. I think you know the song quite well. There's an old, old story. Let's sing it together. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning then I repented of my sins and won the victory oh victory in Jesus my Savior forever he sought me and bought me with his redeeming love. He loved me ere I knew 
is due him. Plunged me to victory beneath a cleansing flood. The Bible says that we in this life, we ought to live a life of victory. The Bible says that we have died to sin and we are alive unto God. Now we need to understand that in order to live that life of victory. When we come to chapter 6 in the book of Romans, Paul expands on the idea that we looked at in chapter 5, and that is that we get it all in Christ. We get victory, we get eternal life, we get an abundant life, we get a victorious life. In Jesus, this is found. So when we come to chapter 6, we really, we come to a whole new section we come to a brand new section that deals with this great big long word called sanctification. Sanctification. Now, let's go back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, Paul said, Gentiles have sinned. Chapter 2, Jews have sinned. Chapter 3, we have all sinned, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Chapters 4 and 5, we find justification by grace and through faith, that there is hope, because when you come to 320, it appears as though there's no hope for mankind. Paul has just described the depravity of man, but he turns in verse 21 of chapter 3 and says, but now, but now apart from the law, there is hope. Apart from the law, man can be justified, which means to be declared righteous and to be declared not guilty. When we come to chapter 6, the question is, well, how should we then live? If we've already acknowledged our sin, and we put our faith in Christ, and we now are children of His, how should we then live? That was a book that Francis Schaeffer, a theologian of years gone by, had written. How should we then live? So we come to chapter 6 of the book of Romans, through chapter 8, we deal now with this word called sanctification which deals with how we should then live. It deals with holiness. It deals with being set apart. It deals with growing into maturity. It deals with becoming like Jesus himself. So Paul is brilliant as he writes this book. You have to establish the fact that man has sinned. Then you have to give him hope, and that hope is found in Christ alone. But now, now how do we live? Now that we know Jesus, how should we then live? Follow with me, please, in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 down through verse 14. Follow along with me as we read. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. Now I want you to notice before we go any further... 16 times in this chapter, 16 times in this chapter, Paul refers to the fact that we've died to sin, or sin has passed away, or, or uh, you know, sin has been destroyed. Look for those phrases. Verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. <coughs> Excuse me, but the life he lives, he lives to God. 
In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Paul now deals with sanctification, how we should then live, how we move in this process called holiness. The Bible says we're to be holy as God is holy. We're to be righteous. We're to be pure. Point number one, dead or alive to sin. Some have objected to Paul's teaching of justification through faith alone. There were some who, in reading this letter, they objected to the fact that Paul taught that we are saved by grace and through faith. And they said that if you really believe that, then it would lead to moral irresponsibility. If we're not under law, then if we're saved by grace, then it leads to moral irresponsibility. So once you're saved, then you can just go on and live any way you please. In other words, the more a person sins, as it says at the end of chapter 5, if sin increases, grace increases more. If that's true, then the more a person sins, the more grace he will receive. Therefore, let's just sin with gusto. Well, those were the objections of some to Paul. Paul comes along and he says in these verses that we have died to sin. Paul would recoil in horror of the idea that somehow we ought to continue in sin. For the Christian, continuing a life in sin is not only impermissible, but it's impossible. Now, I didn't say we do not sin. I said for someone to continue living habitually in sin is not only impermissible, but impossible. And I'll expand on that in just a moment. In these opening verses, he says, listen, either you're dead to sin or you're alive unto God. So what does it mean to be dead to sin? What does that mean? And that's the key phrase that runs all the way through chapter 6. What does it mean that we have died to sin? What does that mean? Does it mean that we just don't sin anymore? Well, I hope you don't think that about yourself. Because John writes in the first epistle that if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. That you are so deceived if you think you have arrived and you are in this state of holiness and perfection. No, it does certainly cannot mean that. Well, maybe dead to sin means we just, we just don't enjoy sin anymore. <laughs> Bible refutes that as well. Because the Bible says that there's pleasure in sin for a season. Some of you would agree to that. Sin can be lots of fun. What does it mean to be dead to sin? You know, if we still struggle with sin, have we really died to it? We're going to look at chapter 7 next week. Paul struggled. Paul struggled greatly with sin. We're going to read a little bit about Paul's struggle. He calls himself wretched. He said the wretched man. So we have to understand that to be dead to sin doesn't mean that we don't sin. So what does it mean? What's well, interesting because Paul goes on, and I think he helps define that phrase in verses 3 and 4. There he begins to speak about baptism. Now, it's interesting because I was reading J. Vernon McGee uh, this week as I was studying, 
and he says something interesting about baptism in chapter 6. Um, this is what he says. He says, many years ago, uh, the late Dr. William Pettingill, uh, he conducted a conference in his church. So this doctor conducted a conference in the church of J. Vernon McGee. He says, as we were driving back to the hotel after the service, I asked Dr. Pettingill, did I understand you to say that there's no water in the sixth chapter of Romans? Now, he talks about baptism. We read that. But you need to know that in the Bible, it speaks about two kinds of baptisms. There's a water baptism, which we observe in uh, this summer. Uh, we'll go back to the Ozenbach pool, and, and uh, some of you will be baptized in the water. There is water baptism, but there's also a spiritual baptism. We've been baptized into Christ. It's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. So he says, Dr. Pettingill, did I understand you to say that there's no water in chapter 6? In other words, he's not talking at all about water baptism. I should add that he's the strongest, McGee says in parenthesis, he's one of the strongest immersionists he's ever known. He laughed and he said to me, no, that's not exactly what I said. I said that if all you see in Romans 6 is water, then you've missed the point. If all you see, he's not saying there's not water in this chapter, but if all you see is water, then you miss the point. Well, if you go that far, that's wonderful for me, McGee says, because it confirms the great truth that I see here as well. Again, you need to understand that there's two kinds of baptism. There's water baptism, and we believe in immersion, which many of you have been immersed, where you go down into the water and come up out of the water. But we also believe that there's a spiritual baptism. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God does certain things when we become a Christian. The Holy Spirit has a work when we become a child of God's. One of the works is that he regenerates, he indwells, he seals, and he baptizes. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that he places us who come to Christ into the body of Christ. We're placed into that body. Now, that's important to remember, because when we come to chapter 6, he's not merely talking about water baptism. Water baptism is a graphic picture of spiritual baptism, but primarily talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where he places us into the body. Last week, we looked at Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, we read this. We have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. But it's not us who live, but Christ who lives in us. We have been crucified with Christ. You see, when Christ died on the cross, the Bible says, and we'll see, we read that in this text, that the old man has been crucified with him. The old man, the old self, the Adamic nature, has been crucified with Christ. We have died to sin in that sense. You see, Paul had to explain in the first, first three chapters that we have this Adamic nature. I didn't just swear. Adam, a, a, a nature from Adam. An Adamic nature. We all have that. It's that depraved nature he spoke about in Romans chapter 3. That nature that there's no righteousness, there's nothing good, there's nothing that understands God, nothing that seeks God. No, not one. We have that nature. Remember when Adam sinned? We said that Eve was not blamed for taking the fruit, although she did it first. But Adam, being the head of the race, he was to blame. And sin has entered into this world through Adam, and everyone who has been born in this world except Jesus, who was born of a virgin, came into this world through man. We have an old Adamic nature. We have a, an old self, an old man. And that old self, that old man has died to sin. We have been crucified with Christ when he died on the cross. And water baptism symbolizes that burial. Being lowered down into the water and coming up out of the water. Doug, it's interesting that you should be here today. 
and you have no idea in the world why, but when I sit down with candidates for baptism, Doug, you always come up. His name always comes up in the conversation because I explain to those who want to be baptized the process we go through, how that we're going to lower you down into the water, we're going to bring you up out of the water. And when Doug was, I don't know how old, let's say seven or eight years old, and he wanted to be baptized, I can remember explaining this to him over in the library around that table. And for some reason that I wasn't aware of, Doug, out of the clear blue sky, says this, how long are you going to pray? <laughs> and I looked at Doug, but probably with a puzzled look, having no idea what that even meant. He said, because I can't hold my breath that long. <laughs> he thought, you're going down in the water, and now I start to pray. Well, I don't pray during that time, but I explain that you go down and you come right up out of the water. But this is a graphic picture, don't you see, of our relationship with Christ, that we have gone down into his, into his death, the old man has been crucified and buried, but we do come up out of the water in newness of life. No, salvation does not save or baptism does not say, baptism is a wonderful picture of what happens to us spiritually when we come to Christ. The old life of sin, that old nature, the Adamic nature, has been crucified with Christ. It has been rendered powerless. It has been rendered powerless so that we might live, according to the end of verse 4, a new life. Dead and buried. But point number three, dead, buried, but raised again. Look at verses five and six. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The old man has been crucified. The old man has died to sin. The old man has been, the power of the old man has been rendered powerless. And now, having become a Christian, we are given a new nature. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, it says this, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The Bible says that we have been given the very nature of Christ. You see, another work of the Holy Spirit is that he indwells us. The Spirit of Christ indwells us. If may, any man be any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. See, we were in him, and he is in us. That's the new nature that is in us, the Christ nature. Let me read a couple more verses uh, that I think explain this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, it doesn't mean that the old is eradicated. The old nature has been rendered powerless, but the old nature doesn't go away. So we have in us now today, if you're a Christian, we have a new and an old nature. The old nature has been crucified. The new nature has now come. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9 says this, Do not let each other, since you have taken off the old, or do not lie to each other, since you've taken off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. So the old self has been crucified. The old self has been rendered powerless. And now, indwelling in us is Christ himself. Before salvation, all you had was the Adamic nature. Before Christ came to live inside of you, all you had was that depraved Adamic nature. There was no good. There was no righteousness. There was nothing that sought God or understood God. 
No, not one. Now, we still have the Adamic nature, but we also have the divine nature. We have Christ's very nature. And so within us, we have two. After salvation, we still have the Adamic nature, but now we have the nature of Christ himself. The old nature has been made powerless. We're no longer slaves to sin. And in addition to that, we now have a new nature. The two are not equal in power. The old nature, we often think that, don't we? You know, we often think that we have the little devil on the, on the one shoulder and we have an angel over here. And the struggle is between two equals. Remember what just happened to your old nature. It was crucified, rendered powerless. Now you have all the power of God who brought Jesus back to life also in your body. We have no excuse to sin, folks. We have no reason in this world to yield to temptation. I didn't say we won't. <laughs> I'm saying we have everything in us that ought to enable us to be able to stand against the wiles of the evil one. We have no excuse. Now, the reason you need to know that this morning is this. Sometimes we think to ourselves, Ah, you know, I just, I just can't help myself. I, I've, been, I've been doing this for so long now that it's really not going to ever change. It's the old nature. You know, I just blame it on Satan. It's not really me, but it's, well, you might be able to blame it on him and the old nature. There ought to be in the life of a Christian victory. Again, don't misunderstand me here because we're going to look at Paul's struggle. There ought to be victory. We ought to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because God has just given to us his nature and his power and has rendered the old self powerless, crucifying it when Jesus died. God has given us so much to be able to live a victorious life. Christian life. But it is true, the old self at times will rear its ugly head. Make no mistake about it. And you know that. You know that. But as I said, I really believe that a Christian ought not be living continually in sin. You see, David, remember David? King David. King David, a man after God's own heart. And yet King David fell, did he not? But it wasn't a life of sin. It wasn't a practice of sin. You see, the Holy Spirit in us, I believe, he, he convicts us of that sin. And we can't go very far until the Holy Spirit says, that's enough. That's enough. And he takes us by the shoulders and he begins to shake us and say, you're going in the wrong way. Now let's go back this way. So how can we have victory? Uh, I see three steps that are given to us at the end of this text. Three steps to victory. The first one is found right there in verse 11. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Count yourself. It's a, it, it's a mental word. It means know who you are. It means understand what has just been preached. Understand that the old self is dead to sin, crucified with Christ, and you now have the power of God in you. Understand that. The word count is actually, in the Greek, is in the present tense, which means, you know, you ought to be doing it over and over and over and over and over again, all the way through your day. You know, you ought to be saying to yourself, you know what, you get tempted, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, you're driving to work or you're at lunch break and something happens and you're kind of tempted. I'm dead to sin. I'm, my old self is crucified. I'm alive unto God. It's a continuous action, which means you have to constantly be reminding yourself that you don't have to give in. You don't have to give in to temptation. You have the strength to be able to stand against it. The Puritan theologian John Owens uh, he used to say this. He had a big challenge as a pastor. 
He said, the biggest challenge I have as a pastor is persuading non-Christians to, uh, lost my thought, non-Christians that they're slaves to sin. One of the biggest challenges he had was to persuade non-Christians that they're slaves to sin and persuade Christians that they're dead to sin. Now that's what Paul is trying to do this morning. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to persuade you to understand mentally that your old self, although still present in you, it has been rendered powerless. And God now in, the, in Christ, in the, in the spirit of Christ has come to indwell you. You need to know that. That ought to help the next time you're tempted to be able to say, Satan, get behind me. My old self is powerless, and I'm going to stand against you. We need to see ourselves living in a new kingdom, the kingdom of righteousness, free from this power of sin. Secondly, refuse to let sin reign. In verses 12 and 14, it says that. Verse 12, it says, do not let sin reign. Verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master. You see, although the dominance of the sinful nature has been broken, the dominance of the sinful nature has been broken, it does not mean that it's been eradicated. The old nature is still present, and the old nature still rears its ugly head. But he says, don't let it rain. Get a hold of it. Get control of it. Don't, don't let sin be your master. Don't let it control you. It doesn't have to control you any longer because you're dead to sin. And then finally in verse 13, offer yourselves to God. He speaks there in verse 13 about instruments. It could be translated weapons. Uh, the word picture is that of, of life on a battlefield. We're in a spiritual warfare. And I don't have to tell you that. You know the temptations that are out there in the world. You know how you're bombarded day after day after day to see things, to do things. We understand that. Don't offer yourselves, don't offer your, your bodies as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God. And this is the decision of the will. It's choosing to follow God and making Jesus master rather than sin. So Paul very nicely uh, concludes this text by giving us these steps in order to live a victorious life. Christian life. Count yourself. Reckon yourself. Understand who you are. Understand that the old self has been crucified with Christ and you're alive unto God. Don't let sin reign. Don't allow sin to become your master. It doesn't have to be that way. And some of you who are involved in this or that or the other thing, understand that. Sin does not have to reign. You can stand against it. You've got the power of Christ in you to enable you to not live that way any longer and offer yourself. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let me conclude by reading Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Say that with me. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, say it again, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, but Christ lives in me. Let's say it all together. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Father, this section is a powerful section, and I pray, Lord, that that power that we studied and read about would translate into our lives that father we might truly be able to get victory and be more than overcomers 
through Christ who has loved us. Father, I pray that we might know who we are in Christ and all the wonderful things that have taken place on, on that, in, in that moment of salvation. And we have been changed from darkness to light. Father, continue to help us because we know the temptation is real. We know that we're in a battle. But Father, I pray that you might give us victory through Jesus who loved us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Take your hymn books, if you would, please, and turn with me to hymn number 355. 355, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up, let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. A good song of victory as we leave today. Let's stand together and we'll sing this as we close. I'm pressing on we thank you again for your presence in our lives. And I pray, Father, that we might draw, we might draw from the strength that is in us, that, Father, we would not go crippling through this life, falling into sin, but, Father, that you might be our strength in that time of weakness, in that time of temptation. Father, help us to rely and depend on the Spirit of God who is in us. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful book and pray that you would continue to use it in our lives to change us into the likeness of your Son. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.